The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me uh, to the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we'll be today. Uh, We'll continue and we'll finish out, hopefully, this chapter next week, um, Lord willing. Uh, And then the following Sunday, on the uh, last Sunday of the month, will be Easter Sunday. And uh, we're still encouraging you to be praying for the people that you have written up here on these walls by name. To pray for them daily. Uh, Hopefully you're still doing that. I've heard several stories. I know many of you are. that uh, Stories of how... Um, God is already working, praying, and God already going before you and preparing the heart of the person that you've been praying for, and, and in some ways being shocked by their receptiveness to an invitation to come to the Easter service, or, or shocked uh, by their openness to talk about the gospel when maybe they've been closed off before. Uh, I would remind you that nobody is beyond the ability of God to save. See, the, see Saul, who became Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, violently opposing Christianity and the church and the gospel, arresting Christians, dragging them out of their homes, having them imprisoned and thrown in jail on his way to do more of the same, and God simply knocks him off his horse, blinds him, and calls him to himself. You may not expect that to happen with your neighbor or your friend or your coworker or family member, but God can do it just the same and just as miraculously to where he would only get the credit. You are the vessel. You are the one who prays and shares, tells them the story, invites them to come to Easter, but God, if they are to be saved, God will save them. So take that pressure off of yourself and just commit to pray for them and invite them and tell them the story. Amen? Amen. Well, uh, before I read this passage, uh, had a great time yesterday at the barnyard with the balloon ministry, uh, packed out yesterday at the barnyard. Uh, we gave out, I think it was a record, Ray and Angie said, probably around 550 balloons uh, yesterday at the barnyard from, from about 8 until, what time did we leave? About 1.30? About 1.30, 1.45, 550 balloons inviting them to come to uh, the Easter extravaganza, which is next Saturday. And uh, if half of them that said are coming show up, then we don't have enough eggs and we don't have enough Cheetos and all sorts of things. So uh, I'm sure Lana uh, could use extra help and extra eggs. So if you have some of those, uh, Karen gave me some just a little bit ago to give to Lana. So be praying for that. Pray that the gospel will be loud and clear next weekend at the Easter extravaganza as well. And uh, and then... Uh, this past week, I was, um, I was at Abner Creek Academy, uh, right up here, our school and our community, uh, and I serve on the uh, School Improvement Council uh, there at Abner Creek, and um, I was sitting around, we were talking, and, and uh, just so appreciative of uh, Miss Paul and Miss McMakin, the principal and vice principal there, and their, their openness to us bringing Good News Club in and how they are supportive of, of that and, and uh, just such a great relationship. One of the ladies that serves on that council with us, uh, she began telling a story about uh, where she lived, about her neighborhood. And uh, she, she made this comment. She said, uh, 
my, my next door neighbor, this little girl that lives over there, you know, she's friends with my daughter, but, uh, but boy, it's just, I, I feel like I have a mission field right on my street. To which I thought, ding, 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 we do. You do. You have a mission field right on your street. Now, she went on to tell how that little girl had came over and, and stole their dog for three days and, uh, and took it and lived in the house with them and all this sort of thing. Uh, no parent in the house thought to say, where'd this dog come from? You know, but, uh, but after three days, brought the dog back. Uh, but anyway, all of us have a mission field right where we live, right where we work, right where we play. And that's what we've been saying for months and years, is right where you are, God has already placed you to be a missionary. You don't have to wait for some lightning bolt to come from the sky. You don't have to wait for a bush to be burning in front of you and not be consumed. God's already told us in the Great Commission that you're right there already. Go, make disciples. And that's what this passage is about today. Now, I must confess to you today before I get into this that after preaching Body by Victorious Savior, Red Hot Monogamy, When Is It Okay to Get Divorced, and I come to a passage like this and I kind of let my guard down and think, this is rather mundane. But nevertheless, it's the Word of God, right? There's just as much here. It may not stimulate our interests as much per se, but let me tell you something. God has a word for you in this passage. Be open to it today. Let's read it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called there, let him remain with God. In this passage today, Paul says to them three different times, remain, stay where you are. In a a short, what, eight verses or so, Paul says three times, remain, stay where you are. Stay where you are or were when you were called, meaning called to God. When God brought you to himself in salvation, stay in that setting. I have the outline for today is, uh, is going to be um, repetitive. Okay, so the first point of the outline today is this. Bloom where you're planted. Or bloom where God has planted you. And maybe I 
came up with that because of, as I was writing this sermon, it was so nice outside and birds were chirping and everything is growing and all that. But I think it's very poignant to the text today. Bloom where God planted you. That's the point of verse 17. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. We know, you know, God calls people to himself out of all all kinds of backgrounds and situations and circumstances, doesn't he? In this particular context, if we look back and, and find where we are in the Word of God, which, by the way, it's always helpful to know where you are before you start interpreting a passage right there. Uh, in the same way that if you're, you know, if you get up in the middle of the night in your own bedroom, the lights are off and you have to go to the bathroom or go to the kitchen, you can pretty well know your way because you know it by now. But if you're staying in a foreign place... If you're staying in a hotel room or something like that, no light in the room, and you get up in the middle of the night, you're walking through the room, you know, so that you don't stump your toe, right? It's helpful to know where you are. So where are we in this passage? Well, here in this passage, the context is marriage, family. Particularly, God calls people to himself out of all sorts of circumstances and life situations, whether they are single or widowed, or married, married to a believer, or married to an unbeliever, or divorced, etc. God calls people to Himself out of all sorts of circumstances and situations when it comes to family. But we could expand this and say that God not only calls different family situations out of those, but He also calls out of a pool of religious people, Non-religious people, poor people, rich people, middle-income people. God calls to Himself people who are slaves. God calls to Himself people who are free. God calls to Himself people who are bankers, who are lawyers, who are plumbers, who are athletes, who are teachers, who are students, who are coaches, who are engineers, who are salesmen, who are computer technicians, who are soldiers... And we can go on and on and on, fill in your particular occupation or your particular background. And God, if you're here today, you know, if you are a believer, that God calls out of all types of backgrounds and circumstances and situations people to Himself. Well, the people in Corinth had come to Christ, many of them, after they had gotten married. And many of them were married to unbelievers, and so they came to Christ and thought, well, surely God doesn't intend for me to stay unequally yoked to an unbeliever. Surely this profanes or defiles my relationship in some way. So they were seeking to escape the circumstances of their lives because they thought that surely God would want them to live in some more holy setting. They wanted to escape their marriages. They wanted to escape the particular settings the heritage that they had come from. In this day and age, there, certain Jews were seeking to become less Jewish after they came to Christ. Other Jews who came to Christ were seeking to make Gentiles who came to Christ more Jewish. And they were seeking to, to change their circumstances and situation, their heritage, even their social status. Slaves. It was reported that in this day when, when Paul is writing to the church in that Greco-Roman society that as much as half of the population in the Roman Empire were slaves. 
Now, not slaves like today. You and I know slaves from um, 1700s and 1800s. And, and, and we think of that Americanized version of slavery, but it wasn't so in this day and age. Most of those slaves, many of them were doctors and lawyers. They were able to live and work and earn money. And, in order to, and they could even save money up to where they could buy their own freedom. Very different from the idea of slavery that you and I know from our history. Many felt um, as though they couldn't fully live for God, though, or serve Him until they put on or took off certain things. They felt like they had to change these things. But often, I would tell you today, church, the application for us is that often God calls us, and where He calls us, what it, no matter what circumstance He calls you out of, or setting of life, or what your heritage is, all of those things, regardless, oftentimes God has a special plan to use you right there in the midst of it. And the worst thing that we could do is to automatically say, okay, now that I'm saved, I've got to get out of this environment. Now, obviously, what he's not saying is he's not saying that if, if you are involved in an in, in, in a industry that is sinful, illegal, that entices you to sin, he's not saying stay there because we're commanded other places to flee from those. But if your occupation or your heritage or your neighborhood, fill in the blank, is not one that is sinful or causes you to sin, then he says stay right there. And he wants to use you right there. Bloom where you are planted. In this way, the life that you are living becomes your, to quote the text, assignment from God. That's why three times in these eight verses, Paul tells them to remain in their current condition. Or to use my way of saying it, to bloom where God has planted them. The second point I'll tell you is, bloom where God planted you regardless of race or heritage or background. He says in verses 18 and 19, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Then don't seek uncircumcision. Was anyone already uh, uncircumcised? Then don't seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. Now I want you to, in our day and age, that doesn't mean much to us. Take yourself back into that day and and put yourself in the shoes of an average Jewish person and you're listening to, you've come to know Christ, but you're listening to Paul and all of a sudden Paul makes an offensive statement and he says to you, neither circumcision means anything, doesn't count for anything, it doesn't matter, nor uncircumcision, neither one matters. Well, to a Jew, they had been taught, they had been raised to believe that circumcision was everything. That it was the sign of the covenant. It was the mark of God on their lives. And, and it, was, it was everything to them. So for Paul to say this is, is hideously offensive. In fact, it took the early church a, a pretty good while to, to really embrace this. Acts 15 tells us this account where certain brothers come down and they say, unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. They were saying this to Gentile believers. And they met there at the Jerusalem Council and came to understand that it was not necessary to circumcise, but instead to believe and trust in Christ. I would say to you today, church, that sometimes the biggest 
obstacles to our contentment with where we are. And some of you are antsy right now because you're, you're not content where you are in your job or whatever it may be. Sometimes our biggest obstacle to contentment where we are and our faithful obedience right where God has planted us is to let go of the past. And this, was, this was huge for, for Jews and Gentiles alike. They had to let go of the past. They, if they were going to bloom where God had planted them, they had to let go of the past. We also struggle with this, to let go of the past. Certain traditions... Many of you grew up in church. I grew up in church. My mom was pastor's secretary, and I was there not only every time the doors were open, but um, knew how to break into the church, knew how to go underneath the baptistry, had been out on the roof many, many times. Uh, mom is probably going to hear this sermon, and now I'll still be in trouble. Many of you grew up in church, and you didn't, you, you learn certain things along the way, certain traditions, certain things that are not bad. They're not bad in and of themselves. Sunday school is wonderful. Certain practices that we, we participate in in the church growing up are not necessarily bad. Walking an aisle, going through the baptistry, rededicating. Some of these things are not bad in and of themselves. But when we begin to feel that we've got to couple these things with or add these things to the work of Christ in order for us to truly be saved, then they become to us heavy chains and burdens that do the opposite of set us free. In fact, they enslave us. This is why Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. It's not that he was saying that circumcision was wrong, because God had ordained this thing. But what he's saying is that it is not necessary now for salvation. Certain of the ceremonial laws had passed away. And that Christ had brought fulfillment and that Christ was the great Passover lamb that had been promised. Don't take another yoke of slavery. Don't think you have to do certain things to get in or to stay in. But instead, trust Christ. Now, those things that we do, Sunday school and, 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 and baptism and, and those things that, we, we, that are traditions and historical and actually some of them commanded in Scripture. You won't find Sunday school written there, but you will find baptism in, in the Word of God. We still practice those things, but we don't practice those things for our salvation. We practice those things as a result of our salvation. A display of the fact that we have been saved. A mark of being saved. A pursuit of wanting to know God more. Be sanctified further. So, bloom where you're planted, regardless of your heritage or your background or your past Because where you're from doesn't matter, obedience where you are does. That's the third point. Because where you're from doesn't matter, obedience where you are does. He says this in verse 19, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. 
It's interesting that Paul never tells the Jewish people to lose their heritage. He never, he never tells them to stop being Jewish. He never tells them to stop acting Jewish, nor does he tell the Gentiles to stop acting like Gentiles and become more Jewish. We look at people today who are from different backgrounds, different areas of the world, and we, we say, oh, you're from, you're from there? Oh, that's beautiful. Celebrate that. And Paul does the opposite, and he says to them, oh, you're from there? Doesn't matter. But hang on to it anyway. This is what Paul's pointing out in Galatians 3.28 when he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's not that their Jewishness is so good that they need to hang on to it. It's that it doesn't matter. So they are permitted to hang on to it. Not in a way to bring salvation, but they can still remain ethnically Jewish, just as today you can go all over, all over the world and find Messianic Jews who still are very much living like their heritage, but they're not depending on that heritage to save them. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah that has indeed come. You don't have to change your own, your, your outward circumstance to be more pleasing to God is the point. God is much more interested in your obedience within your present circumstance. Paul writes, he was talking about this, he modeled this later on in this chapter. We'll look at it in a number of weeks in chapter 9, later on in this book, chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. Of course, um, Paul's saying here, you don't have to change your circumstance in order to be more pleasing to God, but you do have to be obedient in the circumstance you're in. You're obe- not to be pleasing to God, but, but God's looking for that in you. To be content where you are, where He's planted you. Bloom where He's planted you. What an opportunity for these Jewish believers to go back and live among unbelieving Jews. What an opportunity for these Gentiles to go back as now believing Gentiles, having met the one true and living God, and to live as Christians, obedient to God among these Gentiles. We'll repeat this again. Bloom where you're planted, he says, in verse 20. He says, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. And I'll repeat this outline again and change it just slightly, regardless of your social setting. Bloom where, you're, where God has planted you, regardless of your social setting. In verse 21, he says, were you a slave when called? 
Now notice he says, do not be concerned about it. The difference here between the first and this is that those in the first situation, those who were Jews or those who were circumcised or those who were uncircumcised, those Gentiles, they could do something. They could change their situation. They could change their circumstance. They could take on these, these outward signs or appearances. But the slave, unless, unless they have the money to buy their own freedom, they can't do anything about their situation. So he says to them, were you a slave when called? Don't worry about it. It should not be seen here that Paul is endorsing or condoning slavery. I've already explained to you the difference between slavery that we know from American history and slavery of this Roman Empire. But Paul's point is that regardless of what life situation we find ourselves in, it is entirely possible that we can still live as a Christian wherever we find ourselves. You can be, you can be a slave. You can be tied to a horrendous, terrible situation. You may be there right now. You may be in a marriage that is absolutely awful. You may be looking at health issues that are terrible. You may be so upside down on your finances that you can't see a way out. You may be working for a boss who is just terrible person. And Paul says, regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of this social standing or this social setting that you're in, you can live as a Christian. Don't worry about it. You are every bit as able to obey and serve Christ in slavery as you are in freedom. And Paul told the slaves who had come to know Christ in Colossians 3, he says, slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, I don't know what everybody's going through out here today. But I know this, based on the comments that I receive after every sermon... That there are situations and circumstances going on all over this room. And people are involved in all sorts of things. Things that are beyond your control. And you don't know how you're going to get out of it. And you don't know how God wants to use it. But I'm telling you, Paul says, based on the authority of God's word, that you can bloom right where you have been planted. That the grace of God is sufficient for you. You may find yourself in that dreadful, awful, ungodly circumstance, but don't be concerned about it. God's grace will be sufficient for a person who will live in the absolute perfection of the eternal presence of God in his kingdom. Paul is saying, what is a few years or even a few decades chained to an ungodly taskmaster here in this life? Now, I, I get it that that's easier to read or for me to say than it is for you to live. But the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, lives inside every believer to give you victory over sin. 
And I want to show this to you. This is where we're going to go. Bloom where you're planted, regardless of your social standing. And here's where we'll, we'll finish up today. Because where you are is not where you were. Because where you are as a Christian is not where you were. That's good news, right? That is good news. He says in verse 22 and 23, For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Now, here's what I know about all of us. That each of us, every one of us, everyone in this room who is now a believer, everyone who is sitting here, not just in this room, but everyone Everywhere, anywhere, who has been called to believe in Christ, when you were called, you were a slave. Maybe not physically, maybe not in this earthly life, but you were a slave of sin and Satan and self and condemnation and future judgment and hell and the curse of the law. You were a slave. But here's the good news. Christ has set us free. Paul says, this is why you can bloom where you've been planted. Because you were a slave, but now you're free. You have been set free in Christ. So regardless of the circumstance that's going on around you, when everybody else is crumbling and falling apart... You can hold it together, not through your own strength, but because of what you have been liberated from. You are free. The man in verses 22 and 23, when, when, when Paul writes this, when he hears this letter read to him, he was going to hear this and turn right back around and report to his master because he was still going to be a physical, literal slave in his daily life. But as far as the Lord was concerned, he was a free man. We're not where we were. We're not slaves anymore. We are free. He goes on and he gives this paradox. He says, were you a slave when Christ called you? Now you're the freed man of the Lord. Were you free when Christ called you? Well, now you're a slave of Christ. And these two things seem to not work together. You're, you were a slave, but now you're free. You were free, but now you're a slave. Is Paul simply talking in circles here? Does this make any sense? Well, absolutely it makes sense. Paul says to them, each of us, when we recall, we were slaves, but we have been set free. And in Christ, each of us has been set free, not simply to do as we please. The world tells us this is great freedom. I can come as I go and do as I wish. I can eat what I want. I can watch what I want. I can go where I want. And you and I know from experience, because we have turned from that, God has delivered us from that, that that's no freedom at all. Because in, in the end, that all leads to death. Since we have been set free in Christ, we have also been made slaves of Christ. Now, what does he mean here? Those men who have been part of the men's group, who we went through that book, Slave, by John MacArthur. You understand this. 
And what we mean is, what, what Paul means is that before, when we were religious, we were trying to earn our salvation. We were trying to please God. But now our hearts have been changed and our hearts no longer operate from this mindset of we've got to do this. But now we operate from this free-flowing motivation of praise Jesus, I get to do this. And it's not, it's not going to determine how he feels about me. It's not going to make him love me anymore or, or like me any less. But instead, I am loved. There is no more condemnation for me because I am in Christ. But it has set me free to love him with my whole heart. Romans 6, verses 20 through 22 says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You couldn't perform righteousness. All of our righteousness is filthy rags. But what fruit were you getting, he says at that time, from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Praise God, we are not where we were. We are not where we were. He has brought us so much further. Where we are, where you are, is not determining how he feels about you. Your marriage that you're in, your divorce that you have gone through, your job that you're serving in, your family situation, your neighborhood, none of that, none of that is determining how he feels about you. He has met you where you were. And you're not where you were. He's taking you to be conformed to the image of Christ. He says to them, you were bought with a price. This is a picture here. It's just a reminder to them. This is a theological reason that when you're serving there, when you're living there in the midst of of a hard situation, a difficult circumstance that you think, if I could just get out of this, everything would be okay. He reminds us that in that situation, God has ordained even that. He's placed you there. He's assigned you there. You're not your own to determine where you go and what you do, but instead you've been bought with a price. The same way that a slave would be bought off of a slave market, you have been bought off of the slave market of sin and death and hell in the grave. Of the precious blood of Christ. He says, so men, brothers, he's speaking not just to men, but also to the ladies of the church. He includes them in this. He says, do not become slaves of men. Do not become slaves of men. In whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. John MacArthur, as I was reading his commentary on this passage closed his chapter on this passage with, uh, with a statement I'd like to read for you. He says, Conversion is, is not the signal for a person to leave his social condition, his marriage or his singleness, his human master or his other circumstances. We are to leave sin and anything that encourages sin, but otherwise we are to stay where we are until God moves us. Now, yesterday, uh, I was at the barnyard with Ray and Angie, and, and um, we were talking. We didn't have a whole lot of time to talk in between handing out balloons, people everywhere. But uh, Ray and I were talking, and he brought up today being St. Patrick's Day. And, uh, and he made a comment, and he said, you know, we need to remember that we're Protestants. And, and he was right. And I said, well, Ray, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about St. Patrick, to be honest with you. 
And he said, well, I, I really don't either. So Ray, that prompted me to go home and, and do a little research on, on St. Patrick. Well, here's what I found about St. Patrick. I found an article, and I want to read just a portion of it. So if you don't like being read too, just pretend I'm not reading, okay? Um, but I'm going to read this to you. Uh, Patrick, St. Patrick, was born in the late 4th century. The best speculations say around 385 was when he was born in, in what is now northeast England. He was born among the, the Celtic Britons to a Romanized family of Christians. His father was a deacon and his grandfather a priest. But his parents' faith didn't find a place in his heart early on. In his youth, according to George Hunter, he lived toward the wild side. Now, can anybody testify or identify with that? In our youth, we strayed. But God arrested him with severe mercy. He was kidnapped at age 16, not by God, but by Irish raiders, and taken back to Ireland, where he served as a slave for six years under a tribal chief who was also a druid. While a slave in Ireland, God opened his eyes to the gospel of his childhood. It was a captive uh, it, it, was, it was as a captive that he came to understand the Irish Celtic people and their language and culture with a kind of intuitive profundity that is usually possible only, as in Patrick's case, from the underside. When he eventually escaped from slavery, he was a changed man. Now a Christian, from the heart, uh, changes his heart. Now a Christian from the heart, he studied for the ministry and led a parish in Britain for nearly 20 years. That could have been the end. He could have went back, led this parish for 20 years, and just retired. That could have been the end. But at the age of 48, already past a man's life expectancy in the 5th century, Patrick had a dream, which proved to be his own version of a Macedonian call. Having known the language and the customs from his captivity and long having strategized about how the, the gospel might come to the Irish, he now answered the call to return to the place of his pain with the message of joy. The slave returned to his captors with good news of true freedom. What if we all answered the call uh, to return to the place of our pain? What if we all answered the call to return to the place where God has planted us with the message of joy and the good news of true freedom? I think a lesson for all of us today, a word to all of us, is that we've been placed exactly where we are so that we can bloom where we have been planted. Not for ourselves. But as Patrick came to know Christ from the heart, God put a burden on his heart for the people there in Ireland who were considered unreachable. Wouldn't it be great if we saw the people that we work with, that we live around, that we go to school with, that we play ball with, that are in our family? that are on our street? What if we saw them and, and the world might say around us, other, other Christians might say around us, oh, they're unreachable, you're wasting your time. What if we said, oh no, because God through His gospel can reach anybody He wants. 
What if we understood? What if we really answered the call and said, God has placed me there as his assignment on my life to bloom where he has planted me? And that's what by name is all about. Let's live not for our own comfort, but for the glory of Christ alone. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this passage is one that is challenging, but God, it's challenging in a different way than what we have been looking at over the last several weeks. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would take this passage of Scripture and, God, that you would pierce the hearts of your people. Lord, your people that are sitting in this room, God, I pray, Lord, that you'd pierce their hearts with this, this understanding that you have put them in a place to be your witness, to live for you, to bloom where you have planted them, regardless of their history, regardless of their background, regardless of their heritage, regardless of their social setting, regardless of what's going on around them. Lord, I pray, God, that you would use us, that we would stop making excuses. But God, because you have set us free, And Lord, because you have captured us, God, that you would unleash us today into our lives that you have given to us for your glory and not our own. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to give you an opportunity to respond to this. Ethan's going to lead. And um, I'll be sitting right down here on the front row. Um, If you need to talk to me about something, you need me to pray with you about something I'd be glad to do that I'll I'll help you with that if if I can today you may be here and you heard me talk about how Christ sets us free through the precious blood of his son and you realize today that you're living in slavery you've never been liberated from sin and self and Satan and hell and the law over your life and there is condemnation for you and today you know that you need to turn from yourself and trust this one who can liberate you, then I'll be glad to talk with you. Today, maybe you're here and you've just really been shown today, God has shown you through his word that where you are, circumstances of your life, that while they be painful, they're hard, they have been ordained by God. And he has authority over your life. He has assigned you there. He's called you there. And maybe you have been seeking to get out. But maybe today you just need to say to God, God, whatever you want. God, if you want to leave me there in the midst of it, leave me as long as you want and help me to be faithful to you. Your grace will be sufficient for me. Then maybe you need to come and pray across the front or pray right where you are. Maybe some of you today that say, This is the church where I believe God's leading me to. I want to join this church. I'd be glad to receive you for that. Whatever it is that God's calling you to, let's don't just come, sit through a service, and say amen and go home. Let's say to God, you are the treasure that's worth leaving everything for. God, capture me and use my life for your glory. You respond as God leads. 
This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.